you all can go back to your seats or stay here and pray the whole service. It's fine. We're among family, and it's good to be praying together and worshiping together, and there's just a sweetness in, uh, in this time. We don't take that for granted. You know, we don't take the Lord's presence for granted. Uh, it's a gift when he meets us in special ways. And thank you, team, for leading us into his presence so beautifully. Can we give a little thanks to the worship team? Great job today. <clears throat> so as we uh, get our hearts ready, I'm going to share a little bit from Luke chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can flip over there. And I would just want to say one quick thing. Seth mentioned in the uh, announcement time and vision time, we were talking a little bit about some year-end giving things. We're coming to the end of the year. And so uh, I, I really just want to say two things on that. The, the primary one is thank you, uh, because the church, uh, your, your faithfulness in giving and your stewardship and generosity has really showed up in some significant ways this year. And uh, together, there's been a real beautiful kind of expression in generosity. So I just want to publicly say thank you. Uh, it's, it is wonderful to be a part of a church that takes stewardship and generosity seriously. Uh, as we think about year-end giving, uh, we have some materials and stuff at the info desk and on our website, uh, sclinechurch.com forward slash give. You can look at all that in more detail. And we're highlighting some things like, you know, finishing the year strong with our giving to the to the just church general fund and everything like that. That takes care of our staff and takes care of our ministries so that they can be fully funded and everything like that. That's a, a big thing for us to finish well. Faith Forward is actually our building campaign. So some of you have been around long enough to know that we did a pretty substantial um, addition to the building several years ago. We're actually getting sort of to see the light at the end of the tunnel now with all of that and eliminating all of the debt. And so Faith Forward is another big one. Great Commission Fund is how we support missionaries all around the world. So we have in uh, over 700 workers in over 70 countries that are serving the Lord. And this church has been very generous. Our church has been very generous to the Great Commission Fund this year. That's a great way to think about kind of year-end giving. And then there's one last one that just recently our elders um, set aside a special gift for supporting the persecuted church. You know, you think about the blessings that we have here, you know, we didn't wake up this morning wondering if we were going to be able to have a service or if we would have to stay hidden or whatever. And we have brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world who are doing just that. I mean, they're worshiping in secret and they're staying out of harm's way by God's grace, oftentimes uh, in risk of harm, imprisonment, and even death. And so uh, one of the things that we have supported in the past here is just giving to the persecuted church. And we've done that, there's other ways to do that, but the specific way we have done that is our support with the College of Prayer and helping training and encouraging our, our brothers and sisters. And so that's one that we have earmarked as well to say we would love to see uh, our people giving. When you think about some year-end giving, those are some options for you uh, to consider. Um, but primarily, I just want to say thank you. Thanks for being a, a giving church. Uh, we've been going through a series called Prayers of Advent, so if you're new with us, just to catch up real quickly, prayer has been a really big theme for us this year, and one of the things that you might not know, uh, but I was just reflecting on it with one of my brothers uh, here over this last week, is that we have actually seen God really stirring, oftentimes through 
prayers that are happening that nobody knows about. You know what I mean? There's, there's little secret mission groups of, of people that are praying. And what are we doing? We're asking God for revival. We're asking God for a greater sense of freedom. We're asking God that he would stir and work among us. And so then, as we've heard the stories through the year of new commitments to Christ, uh, of new ways in which God is stirring or moving or new advances for the kingdom, on one hand, we're, you, know, you step back and say, whoa, look at what God did, but it's actually not really surprising. That's what we've been asking him to do. And so in this series, we thought it would be appropriate to go through, in the Advent time, the prayers of Advent. And we started with the prophetic prayer of Isaiah, people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Last week, you heard the hopeful prayer of Zechariah, as he is speaking over his next generation, you are going to prepare the way of the Lord. And I loved how Pastor Dan said that Zechariah moved from disbelief and doubt to worship and praise. And a lot of our lives have been on that journey as well. You know what it's like to walk in disbelief and doubt. And many of us learning now, what does it mean to walk in worship and praise? What I notice here is that from Isaiah to Zechariah to Mary, that's where we're going to go today, that God is working behind the scenes to bring about his sovereign plan. And most of the time, nobody knows about it, or almost nobody knows about it, right? God is working behind the scenes to bring about his sovereign plan. When you read in Galatians 4, it says that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. The sovereign plan of God is unfolding, and yet even as it's happening, most of the people don't know about it. In Luke chapter 1, I'm going to read to you the verses that we call Mary's Magnificat. This is Mary's prayer. It's her prayer of great praise to the Lord. And you can read it in Luke chapter 1, 46 to 55. If you want to just follow along with me, we're going to unpack this here a little bit today. Uh, What is God doing behind the scenes that most of the people have no idea what's going to happen? Luke 1, 46 and following. Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Verse 50, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. May God add blessing to the reading of his word. This morning we're going to look at Mary's prayer, this declaration of faithfulness and fulfillment of God's promises. That's huge. And a proclamation of God's presence and proximity to those who are humble in heart. Now I want today to kind of give a little context to this passage. First of all, it falls in an interesting place scripturally, and probably you've noticed this, that the scriptures that you looked at or that we referenced last week in the story of Zechariah, 
begins in Luke 1, and then it ends with the, the final work, and there's, a moment, there's a nine months of silence where Zechariah is unable to speak. If you didn't hear that message last week, Pastor Dan Priest, excellent. Make sure you go back and watch that one. But in the middle of the time where Zechariah gets this first visit, and then the proclamation, his name's going to be John, and all of this prophetic utterance is given, is the story of Mary. And so what I would like you to just try to think about when we look at her Magnificat today, this, this wonderful prayer of praise, is I want you to begin to think about what are the headlines that were happening in Mary's day? What are the things that would have been happening in this time of history? It was actually a very dark time. And I'm going to ask you to kind of juxtapose it this way. What are the headlines that you think about today? Just think for a second. Some of you could even call out a little bit. When you think about the major headlines in the news, what are the things that we hear a lot about? Go ahead. Let me hear just a couple of them. War. war. Everybody said war. Okay. Interesting. Other things? Accidents. Yeah. Other things? I heard election and health issues, and maybe those are connected. Well, I don't know. Okay. Anything else? Lawlessness. What? Homelessness, yeah. Okay, now, okay, either you all are really negative people because not a person has said a positive headline yet, or there's a lot of hard headlines that are going on, and I think it's probably the second one. You know, the majority of the news that we hear tends to be difficult news. Now, let me just tell you, though, that's not all the news that's out there. And the point that I want to make here in just a moment is that in Mary's day, there was a lot of negative news for sure. In fact, in, you, could, you could make the argument it was a lot darker in some ways than what we experience now. And yet there were things that were happening behind the scenes that people knew nothing about. I'm going to share just a couple headlines with you a little bit just for fun here today because I, I do want to show you there are other headlines just besides uh, war. There's some, even some good news out there, believe it or not. Uh, I don't know if you knew this, but in uh, just recent months, this is all just from recent weeks and months, there was a misprinted stamp that went all the way back, dated to 1918, and this person discovered it and found that this misprinted stamp was so rare, they put it up for auction and ended up selling it for like $2 million. That's pretty cool. Uh, that's pretty fun. Some of you are going to go home now and be like, oh, I'm going to check my stamp collections out. I would recommend it. You know, that would be good. You talk about year-end giving, you'd be in really good shape then. Uh, th this was the true story. All these are very true stories. Second one is this. A man brings his emotional support alligator to a Phillies game and is denied entry. Even though he assured them, it doesn't, it doesn't bite. I mean, it's an emotional support alligator, so of course it wouldn't bite. Did anybody know this was a thing? I didn't even know this was a thing. Anyway, that's a true story. Uh, the, the next story, the headline, here's one that you maybe didn't know. This, this lovely lady right here, her name is Dorothy Hoffner. She passed away at the age of 104, so she lived a good long life. And right before she passed away, just days before, she actually set the record for being the oldest skydiver on record. She did not die skydiving. She passed peacefully in her sleep afterwards uh, but the, the sad thing was that they didn't get to officially make her like the Guinness book record holder but Guinness is working on it still to posthumously award uh, Dorothy so these are just interesting stories that are going on and th this was the most interesting to me it happened on the same day that it was reported that flamingos had been blown as far north as Pennsylvania our state right here by Hurricane Ida on that same day that that made a headline uh, Reza Baluchi 
made his fourth attempt to cross the Atlantic Ocean in a giant floating hamster wheel. And he was arrested by the Coast Guard. Uh, <laughs> not allowed, apparently, to do that. Uh, all of these things happening in the world. How many of you knew all of those stories? You heard all those things? Okay, some of you did. Okay, well, you, then you do the same Google searches as I do, uh, perhaps. So there is more going on than just the big headlines. Here's why I say this. As you think about Luke 1 and the, the, the world that Mary and Joseph were in, the, the world that Jesus is being born into, what would have the big headlines been then? I read an article by Philip Jenkins, and he entitled it, A Most Violent Year, The World in Which Jesus Was Born. And he begins to describe the violence, the politics, martyrdom, revolution, paranoia, fear that marked the landscape that Jesus was born into. He actually quoted it this way. He said, It was a truly dreadful time in history of what was already a troubled and turbulent land. What was going on, essentially, was that the great King Herod had died in 4 B.C. His reign had already been noted as being one of the bloodiest and most paranoid in history. A foretaste of Stalinism is how it was described. And so we got King Herod is dead, 4 B.C. We've got all this stuff happening. And so now the Roman and Jewish authorities are struggling to maintain their own kingdoms and borders And Jenkins described this, that there's also this gaggle, that's the word he used, a gaggle of upstart kings, many of which having their own messianic proclivities or messianic pretensions. Now, why is that important? Because in the time that Jesus was born into, we see power struggles and revolutions, we see massacres of rival factions, we see chaos and fear, and before Jesus even arrives we see the emergence of counterfeit messiahs. That's the headlines in the world around Mary and Joseph. That is the thing that would have been reflected in the misery of the day, and almost no one would have been clued in to the real work that God was doing. This is the point that I'd like to begin with. The world was swirling in a blender of brokenness of its own making at that time, and while all of that is happening... A teenage girl is visited by an angel, Gabriel, with very unexpected news. The son of the Most High is going to be your child. That's a big headline that people didn't know. So here's just another little paraphrase. If you read a little bit farther in Luke 1, and I would encourage you to do this on your own, verses 39 to 45, you see that Mary then travels to the house of... Zechariah and Elizabeth, right? So now we see these stories beginning to intertwine. I imagine that was an interesting greeting. You know, hello, Zechariah. <laughs> like, like, you can't talk, right? That's uh, when this is happening. And then Elizabeth comes and speaks this blessing over Mary and begins to refer to her. Interestingly, he, she says, I'm honored that the mother of my Lord would be here. It's like she knows what's going on. And Mary, she kind of knows what's going on. They've got a lot to process and I'm sure understand, but they they know what's going on. And now suddenly we've got unborn baby John and unborn baby Jesus and they're under the same roof. And it's in that context that Mary says in response to Elizabeth's blessing, this magnificat, this expression of joy. So here's a couple of things I just would like you to see about it. Um, A couple just notes. First of all, as I, as I pondered this 
and sort of meditate on the scripture, I almost couldn't get past that first phrase. My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul, what is, that is an interesting word choice. My soul magnifies the Lord. And I think one of the things that actually helps us to understand is that the nature of human beings and the soul that we have is it is in our nature to magnify something. The reason that we get sideways in life and the reason that we get discontented with life is that we spend most of our life not knowing what to magnify. And here, Mary has discovered something very, very beautiful. And so I just, I pondered that a little bit. I'm not going to really preach intentionally on that, but maybe just challenge you to think in this Christmas season, what is my soul actually magnifying? What is the, the nature of my life or the trajectory of my life? What is it exalting? What is it amplifying? What is it making visible? Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. There's a little bit of a curious statement in verse 48. She says, now, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And it, it just sort of struck me and, and several of our staff, we were sort of talking about this, and it was kind of like, that's a, that's a strange, not terribly humble thing to say. You know, like, not just this, like, every generation, they're going to call me blessed. You know what I mean? It's like, we know Mary's not prideful, but like, is she at least being kind of boldly humble or something? And I'll, I'll explain maybe a thought or two on that as we go. We see in verse 50 this idea of like generation to generation and, and we've said many, many times we've got to be a next generation church. We've got to pass on the work of the Lord, the experience, the encounter with the Lord. And if all you pass on is the do's and don'ts and the shoulds and shouldn'ts and everything, you miss out on the intimacy with Jesus in the next generation. And that's why people run away from it is that we have something better to give than just the, the rules of what it means to follow Christ. I'll touch on that a little bit more. I'm just giving a quick overview on a couple things here. Uh, verse 52 and 53 are interesting. He brought down the mighty from thrones and exalted those of humble estate. We said over the last several weeks when we were talking in the Old Testament, this theme that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Like You see it. We said that you're going to see it all throughout Scripture. We see it again here, and you can't unsee it when you continue to see it this way. And then she finishes talking about our fathers, Abraham, and his offspring forever. I think just affirming this whole biblical arc and the covenant love of God. So here's what I'd like to do kind of with our remaining time. First of all, I want you to think for a minute about, can you think of anybody in your life that you would say, that person seems really fully alive? Can you think of somebody like that? Maybe it's somebody that you admire, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a relative, but you just say like, I just feel like that person seems really fully alive. The reason I ask this is because as I hear the, the things that Mary is, is pondering and the way that she is expressing, you, you see in her a soul that has been set on fire by something divine, a life that is filled with purpose. And I'm telling you, it's not because her circumstances were so great, right? I mean, she's, she's right in the middle of trying to figure out this obedience to, to God and what is going to cost her to actually follow through in what He's asked her to do. I know she's got to be in the middle of all of that. And yet, in the midst of all of that, probably difficult stuff, there's a soul that's on fire and a life that is filled with purpose. I wonder if you know anybody like that. It, it's almost like 
I hear in her words and in this posturing that she is coming into what we might even call the abundant life that Jesus promised long before. He's not even in his earthly ministry yet. He's still in utero, and yet she's also already experiencing something of the abundant life. I also think that that whole notion, do you know anybody that is living a life that seems fully alive? Some of us maybe have to think about it. And maybe you're not sure. Maybe you don't know what that looks like, and maybe you don't see that in your own life. I, in fact, I think, I think that question touches on a space of deep longing. And there's a heaviness and a heart cry of a world that is, is looking for something more. We know where to look for it or where to find it. So I guess the question is this. What is it in Mary's story that is causing her to come to life in this way? And I'm going to give you three things for the remainder of our time. I want to talk about the presence of Jesus. I want to talk about the favor of God. Presence of Jesus, favor of God. And I want to talk about the purpose that transcends circumstance. And I would even make this ovation, this thought, this offer to you. I think that if you walk out of here saying, you know, I know what it is to cultivate the presence of Jesus, and I know what it is to walk in favor with God, and I know what it is to find purpose that transcends circumstance, you, you might actually find your heart coming fully alive in a way that it hasn't before. Presence of Jesus kind of looks like this, although this touches on many things. His name would be called Emmanuel, which means what? Yeah, God with us. That's a presence statement. That God would come to be with us. And this touches on so many points. We talked in our Old Testament study about how does an holy, all-powerful God interact with a sinful creation without destroying it. That was essentially the question surrounding the Old Covenant sacrificial system. How does an omnipotent God actually engage with a broken and frail humanity? This question of power and proximity. And yet, we see this starting to get answered right here. It is that He would be Emmanuel, that God would become like us. That God would take on flesh. That God would be with us. In a very literal sense, Mary is the first human being who experiences the indwelling presence of Jesus. And this is a little different category that I'm qualified to speak about. It's a personal and secret mother-child intimacy. When we talk today about carrying the indwelling presence of Christ, Mary was literally the first to do that. The, the, the example that I would ask you to think about, some of you are Spanish speakers, and so you know that Spanish uh, does some things differently than English. In fact, all Latin-based languages, there's some differences that you'll run into. Uh, in particular, we struggle, if you're a native English speaker, with the verbs uh, saber and conocer. How many of you know those words and know what they mean? Say them out if, if you know it. What do they mean? To know. We just use the one sort of expression. We say to know. And by that, we mean a whole lot of things. I know the best way to get from here to there. I know uh, what the Steelers are going to do next season when they don't lose it in the playoffs. I know... Uh, I know you, and I, I, I care about you, all of that kind of, we just use the word, I know, okay. In Spanish, it's a little bit different. When you use, you're talking about facts, 
You would say, yo sé, like I know those facts. I'm familiar with that information. But when you talk about a person, it's a different word. Now you're talking about someone and you say, conocer, yo conozco. That means like I know who you are. I'm familiar with you. I'm acquainted with you. The point I want to make in this is simply to say, if Mary's heart was coming alive because she understood the presence of Jesus, that, that it will never suffice for us to come alive if all we know is facts about Jesus. And many of us, that's kind of been our experience, right? You, you go to church or you learn certain things, you grow up, you learn some, certain things, and yet there is a, a spiritual awakening that happens when we come into the reality of saying, wait a minute, I'm not sure if I even know him I know about him I know facts about him you know in fact there's we this this is a whole sermon in and of itself what Paul said about knowing Christ what Jesus said about even people who think they know him there's some strong cautions in here we're not going to go into all that today but this idea of simply saying do we know him so when we say things like I know you're not allowed to bring an alligator to a baseball game (laughs) That's one bit of information. I know you're not allowed to gerbil your way across the Atlantic Ocean, according to the Coast Guard. But that's not the question. The question is, do I know him? All of the great men and women of faith that you will find who have come alive spiritually had a foundational understanding of knowing who he was. And I'm not done with that journey. I don't think any of us are done with that journey, but that's the first thing I want to just note with Mary is that she was understanding the presence of Jesus. The second one, we're going to do this one sort of quickly, is the favor of God. Do you remember uh, the angel's first greeting to Mary? You can read about it in Luke 1.28. It says, The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. That's a very packed statement right there. And notice that it comes, this is after 400 years of silence, God has has not been speaking through the prophets, God has not been speaking, there has not been an utterance, there's not been like the, the fresh kind of move of God's Spirit, and now all of a sudden an angel comes first to Zechariah, and the first thing that he says to him is, you know, it's the most common thing that angels say to people, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. And the second thing he says to him is, the Lord has heard your prayer. So these are, these are both good news. Mary gets a little different greeting. The first thing she hears is, you are favored. You are favored. And God is with you. And I suspect for the calling she had, she was going to need to have those reassurances. And then he says, and by the way, don't be afraid. She's troubled by this. You know, what's happening here? Don't be afraid. The interesting thing with this idea of the favor of God I wonder if we might even ponder this question. Ponder it this week. Ponder it as you leave here today. Am I walking in the favor of God? Are you walking in the favor of God today? Are you walking with eyes that are open to see what He might do, that are ears that are open to listen for His voice? Are you, are you walking out in obedience with Him? And are you keeping things current with Him to walk in His favor? To have favor with God this is a great blessing Mary's finding herself coming alive in a fresh and a new way some of us need to come alive in a fresh and a new way and to be able to say I found favor with God here's the interesting thing about gospel favor it's not earned it's not 
It's given. It's imputed. It's the righteousness of Christ that we could never create in and of ourselves. In fact, as we were talking about this with our staff, one of our staff members said, like, I'm looking up the definition of favor, and this is what it says. It says, favored means to honor with blessing. Favored means to make graceful. Who's doing the acting in that? You know, this idea that we probably assume Mary is just this perfect little angelic thing, you know? She found favor with God, so God's like, your reward is you get to be famous and do a a significant kingdom thing. I actually don't think that's right. I think Mary was a normal human being. She had faults and she had flaws, but God imputed something to her of grace. God was making her graceful. God was making her beautiful. God was honoring her with blessing. And that's actually why verse 48 of the Magnificat makes sense. All generations will call me blessed. You know, is she being prideful? She said, no, she's stepping into the title and the destiny and the promises of God. She hasn't earned the favor. She is favored. You know, you haven't earned the favor of God. But if you're in Christ today, you're highly favored. And you walk out that favored life because of what Jesus Christ has already done. Christmas is the beginning of the story. Easter is the culmination of His mission. And when it's all said and done, we step into the new covenant. We are highly favored. So that greeting is there. Here's the last one. Mary's finding coming alive in the presence of Jesus, in the favor of God, and then finally in a purpose that transcends circumstance. Let me give you a fun example first, or just a little thoughtful example. I I shared this a few years ago, um, just a really fun and easy read, uh, a book called Start With Why by Simon Sinek. How many of you have read that book? A lot of people have read that book. Okay, not a lot of you guys have read that book. Okay, read that book. It's fun. It's good. It's It's thoughtful, meaningful. One of the things that he says, he uses this example called Give Them a Cathedral, and I'll just read it to you. He says, consider the story of two stonemasons. You walk up to the first stonemason and you ask, do you like your job? And he looks at you and he replies, I've been building this wall for as long as I can remember. The work is monotonous. I work in the scorching hot sun all day. The stones are heavy. Lifting them day after day is backbreaking. I'm not even sure if this project will be completed in my lifetime, but it's a job and it pays the bills. So you thank him and you move on. You, you walk 30 feet down the line and you run into a second stonemason and you ask him the same question. Do you like your job? He looks up and he replies, I love my job. I'm building a cathedral. Now listen to what he says after that. He says, sure, I've worked on this wall as long as I can remember. And yes, the work is sometimes monotonous. I work in the scorching hot sun all day. The stones are heavy and lifting them day after day can be backbreaking. You know, I'm not even sure if this project will be completed in my lifetime. But I'm building a cathedral. Now in a very general sense, Simon Sinek, who I don't believe professes to be a follower of Christ that I know of, He's talking in a general way that we tend to be happier people when we have context to what it is that we're actually doing. When we're just going through the monotony of life, we get bored, we get frustrated, we get tired and everything. When we see a bigger goal or a bigger picture, we tend to do better. So that's just a human condition thing. Now here's where it becomes sort of personal. Mary is discovering a purpose that transcends 
her circumstance. I find it interesting that we live in a curious age of incredible affluence and massive despair. Why in the world are those two words showing up in the same sentence? But you can ask everybody, and they're kind of saying the same thing. Technologically, we've got more cool stuff than we could imagine. Our forefathers and mothers would look at the life we live, would look at the comforts that we have, would look at the things like, I can change the temperature in my house by pushing a button on my phone while I'm not even there. And they would say, that's incredible. You guys must be so happy with life. But we're not. We aren't. Spares through the roof. Suicidal tendencies through the roof. And I don't want to make light of any of that. Listen, I, I don't, some of you today, you're sitting in a place, you're maybe in a very dark space. I don't want to make light of that at all. Our problems are complex. Our world is in deep need. And we oftentimes feel very unsure of what to do about it. And I can't fix every challenge and problem that you're going through. I can't do that anyway, and I certainly can't do it in one sermon. But I can give you a clue from Mary. The clue is this. Mary's prayer shows us that there's got to be something bigger than living for ourselves. Even though the natural inclination of the human heart and the overwhelming current of culture is to self-preservation, it's to self-interest, it's to self-promotion, the, the Magnificat of Mary screams out to us especially in our places of hopelessness, there is actually a better way. And we see this in her experience. Mary is coming to life by giving herself to something greater than herself. And it's actually very specific. It is the mission of Jesus. It is obedience to her God. It is Luke 1.38 when in the midst of her trying to figure out what in the world this message is going to mean for her and the adjustment she has to make. And she says in Luke 1.38, I am the Lord's humble servant. Let it be to me as your word says. And the angel leaves her. And that's a very short sentence, but it takes an incredibly profound look at what is going on inside her heart. The fact of the matter is, if you want to be fully alive, then you need a purpose that transcends your circumstance. And every wise man and woman throughout history has affirmed this. You read the stories of Viktor Frankl and Man's Search for Meaning. You read the stories of Corey Ten Boom. Interestingly, that both of these are ones that suffered very deeply. The fact of the matter is, you can suffer very deeply and still have a life that's fully alive. The myth is, if I could just get all my pain to go away, if I could just kind of focus on me, work on me just a little bit more, I would be so happy, I would be so fulfilled. It's actually not true. I actually learned this lesson probably best from talking to people even in our own church. My good friend Jane Crandall, before she passed away, she told me, you know, she, how many of you knew Jane Crandall? <laughs> the whole church, I love it. That's, that's it, that's what I'm talking about. So this is my point. She says to me, when my husband died, I sort of wondered what was gonna be next for me and I was tempted to kind of wallow. Mm, life didn't work out. or so I didn't get as much time or whatever. And she said, I heard the Lord say to me, I've given you life 
and I've given you mission, I've given you an opportunity to start investing in other people. And all of you guys just raised your hand. Oh, I knew Jane, because she gave you books, and she checked up on you, and she ministered to you, and she cared for you, and she invested in you, and she believed in something that was bigger than herself. You see, if she, if she spent the rest of her decades, because it was actually decades that the Lord gave her, simply wallowing in herself, she could have done that, and we would have said, oh, poor Jane, she's so sad, but she didn't. She became a bright spot for a whole bunch of us, including me. And she spurred us on to faith and good works in Jesus. And she had some fun doing it. That was the thing she told me the most. I'm having more fun. I'm just having fun. She was living fully alive. I spent some of this last week with my friend Dutch Fry, Dutch and Leah, navigating some hard circumstances. He's not sure how much more life he's going to have. And we prayed together and we cried together and we laughed together and we worship together and we just spend a little bit of time but the resounding comments that I am hearing even from people in the midst of suffering is so grateful for what God has done I'm grateful for the opportunities I'm grateful for the relationships I've made I'm grateful for Jesus and the promises that he gives us you talk about you know you're literally in that space you are living with a heart on fire. You're living with a soul on fire. You're living with purpose and life that even death cannot extinguish. Because at that place, death just takes you on to the presence of Jesus, which was ingredient one for happiness and joy. So friends, we learn from an old prophet. We learn from a mute old dad We learn a little bit about the prayers of Advent from a teenage kid trying to figure out what it's going to be like to be obedient to God. And I think there is something for us in that. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. You guys did such a great job. Thank you for leading us so beautifully. Just love the freedom and love the the heart behind your worship today. So all 60 of you make your way up to the platform. It's fun. And uh, while they make their way up, I'm just going to ask you to stand. I'm going to give you a real quick prayer prompt uh, response time. It's not going to be a long, drawn-out thing. Most of this is stuff you'll take with you. I, wanna just, I just want to encourage you to take it with you. Process, pray, lean in, learn, follow in obedience. So here's the questions. We talked about these things today. The presence of Jesus makes Mary's heart come alive. The question is this. Do you know who he is? Do you know about him or do you know him? I'm still growing in that. You're still probably growing in that. You may have walked with the Lord for decades, uh, and you're probably still growing in that. Make that part of your Christmas prayer. God, I want to know you better. Jesus, help me to know who you are. That's a huge starting point. Are you walking in the favor of God today? And I'll just put a little bit of, real quick, just a little bit of meat on those bones for you. Are you walking with ears open? Are you walking with eyes open? Are you anxious to to serve Him in the next level of obedience? Are you keeping close accounts? Are you finding the favor of knowing the finished work of Christ? That's a huge one. God in prayer, we step into the favor of God. 
We say yes to the finished work of Jesus. We don't try to impress you or others anymore with our good, <laughs> with our good works or our attempts at good works. We fall 100% on the finished work of Jesus. We find favor. Have you found a purpose beyond your circumstance? And the really counterintuitive question is this. Are you willing to die to yourself to step into new life? As you go and you take these questions with you and as you pray through the week and as you wait on the Lord, I, I want to just ask you to do this, just to en encourage you to articulate this back to Him. You know, you could, you could hear all of these things. You could say, yeah, that sounds right. That sounds good. Actually, to articulate this back to Him. God, I want to die to myself. Teach me how to do that. God, I want to live more fully for You. Teach me how to do that. God, I want to unlock the joy of obedience. Teach me how to do that. And again, it doesn't matter. You could be 10 years old. You can be 8 years old. You can be 80 years old, wherever you are. The Lord wants to unlock joy in your life. And it's not going to be easy. But it's going to be worth it. So Father, would you meet us where we are today? We thank you for the work that you desire to do. Here's what I want to do. Just a quick response. Somebody that says, I've got some stuff I'm taking with me to work on over this week. The Lord's stirring in my heart. Just raise a hand. I want to see who you are. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hundreds of you. Awesome. Jesus, would you meet us where we are? Because when we walk that out, we're going to have something to celebrate. And when we leave the service here today, we're not leaving on a mopey, low note, woe is me, oh, this is just so awful or whatever. We're going to leave in celebration because of what Jesus has already done. And the team's going to lead us in that direction. And I'm going to ask you to lift your voices as we sing. Jesus, we just give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. And I just sense you're saying, I want, I want to see hearts come fully alive. I want to see souls be lit on fire. And someone here is saying, that's me. That's me. That's me. That's me. So God, that's worth celebrating. That is worth celebrating. And so we say all glory to you. As we get our hearts ready for the Christmas season, we want to do it hearts fully alive. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, say it loud. Amen. Amen.